Let us pray. Our most gracious and holy Father, draw near this day and plant your word deep within us. Strengthen us and lead us that we might more fully cling to Christ, that we might more fully cling to your promises, that we might know how much you are revealed by your mercy and pity upon us. Grant us strength to walk in the ways of Jesus, that we might know him more and more. And we ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. During our college years, Rachel spent a summer over in Romania teaching an English camp. While she was there, she got to travel around the countryside with the family that she was staying with and with some of the friends that she met that were also there teaching English. And one of the things that she told me about at different times was her amazement with the mountains, with just nature, just how beautiful and gorgeous those mountains were in that region of Romania. Now, Rachel, like myself, she grew up in East Tennessee. She grew up in the midst of mountains. But yet there was a certain beauty about these mountains that captured her attention in a different way. And carrying that back, she looked at our mountains in a new way, in a new and appreciative way. But then something hit her, that there was something above and beyond that she deeply realized about nature and about those mountains there in Romania and about our mountains there in East Tennessee is that though there is a great and great great and glorious beauty to nature around us here in this time, that beauty is still marred by the broken world that we live in. That beauty is not the fullness of beauty. That beauty is wrapped up in a world that wrestles with sin. And that we can never understand or fully comprehend or fully appreciate how much more beautiful nature and creation will be when it's revealed in its fullness at Jesus' return and when He renews all things. Yes, we can look at the glorious world around us, but stop and think for a moment of how much more glorious it will be when sin is stripped away from the world around us. When sin itself is finally put in its place and cleansed And all things are made new. It doesn't mean that there isn't beauty around us. It doesn't mean that there isn't real beauty. But that that beauty is pointing to something greater and grander that will surpass what we know. In many ways, this also comes back to me as I grow older. That I think about the things I've adored throughout my days. Again, growing up in the mountains. Loving going into the mountains and just spending time there. But learning a deeper adoration as I grow older, learning to enjoy those things more deeply around me, having a deeper love for them, knowing that God will renew everything. It's especially true when I go back to East Tennessee for vacations and to visit families that I get to look around and cherish this this nature, this world, this family, these people that I know and everything around me more deeply than I did the previous time. But again, it's that same sense of, and this is a creation marred by sin that I find so astounding. How much more astounding will all things be when Jesus returns? When the sin of Adam is stripped out of the world, the futility that it was placed under on account of his sin is removed. Paul is driving home that point of renewal today. 
It almost seems like he's sidestepping a little bit here in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 and following. It seems like he's kind of sidestepping from the previous point he was making about all the renewal that we're going to go through, that we are not debtors to the flesh, but to the Spirit, that we are called to live according to the Spirit, that we are called to be adopted as sons of the Father, that we can cry out, Abba, Father, that He is so focused on us. But then he says in verse 17, if we're children, then heirs, we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him, which sends Him now to think about suffering in this world. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. As soon as Paul brought up suffering there in that previous verse, he moves forward to compare suffering and glory. And he, right out the gate, says, the suffering I endure, the sufferings of this present time, The sufferings that we are currently dealing with are not worth comparing with what God is going to reveal to us, for us, in us. That little Greek participle there that we translate as to in English has such a wide range and it's hard to know which of those is more accurate. Is it going to be revealed in us? Is it going to be revealed for us? Is it going to be revealed to us? In some sense, it's all of that. For the glory of Christ's return is something that's going to be for us. All the suffering will be stripped away and the glory that we'll see is of incomparable value, of incomparable beauty that will be revealed for us because we are the sons of the kingdom. We are children of the kingdom. And so God remakes creation itself for us. But at the same time, He remakes us in Christ's return. That there will be a glory emanating from us. There will be a glory in us that is revealed to all of creation as we are made to shine before the Father. But it's also something revealed to us that is handed to us. It's something that we come to see more fully and more clearly in Christ's return. That finally when we get to that last day, we'll see that that suffering truly does not compare with what Christ has accomplished for us and brings to us. It's easy to mouth those words and to say them, but I know that we are in the midst, each and every one of us, in various ways, suffering in this present time, dealing with the struggles of this world, whether it's wrestling with our own sins, wrestling with health, wrestling just with the economy around us, with the struggles in our nation and our communities, struggling with the various kinds of brutality that exist in this world, the injustices that brings us suffering, that brings others suffering. And yet, if you piled up every tiny bit of suffering in this world and placed it on a scale, it would be but a feather compared to the great and glorious goldenness of the glory that Christ is bringing to this earth. The redemption that He has accomplished in His death and resurrection is going to be poured out such that the glory will be amazing. The glory will be revealed. And we'll see all that suffering was nothing in comparison. And our eyes will be open to see how that suffering actually played a role in bringing about a greater glory. That somehow God wove that suffering into the very fabric of history to lead people nearer to Himself, to lead us nearer to Jesus, to draw us more and more into the grasp of Jesus, that we would be united with Him more, that we might dwell in Him and that He might dwell in us. So here those sufferings are 
all the things that we endure, all the struggles, all the hardships. But Paul points our eyes forward that we might rest in Christ, that we might rest in the revelation that is coming to us, that is going to be for us, and that will be in us, that glory that will be revealed, the fullness of God's redemption on this earth. And Paul continues in verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself might be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Here Paul drives us now, thinking about the sufferings of this present time that we endure, that the creation itself suffers, that it is going through groaning and yearning because it has been subjected to futility. It looks forward to that revealing of the sons of God. Mysteriously, this nature around us, this inanimate, irrational nature, somewhere in its very essence yearns for the revealing of the sons of God, for the children of God, for His adoption to be made complete in us. Because it has been subjected to futility that it groans and yearns for the change that is coming in Jesus for the change that is about to take place. Because it also will be set free from bondage. It's been bound to the corruption of sin. Because Adam sinned, creation itself fell into disrepair. Because creation itself was connected to Adam in a special way that he and Eve were called to rule over it, to spread across the earth. And when they sinned, Creation became disconnected from them. It became a source of thorns. It became a source of thistles. It became a source of hardship. That Adam would have to plow the earth and to make his food, to receive his food. But yet then, those thorns and thistles would come up alongside what he was trying to grow to feed himself and his family. So there's a certain futility to struggling. That creation itself has that futility of sin placed upon it. Because of what Adam did. And yet it is God who subjected it to it because in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage because of the work of Christ. Creation is looking forward to the revealing of all the children of God that it might live in that same glory that the children of God have. That not only are we going to revel in the glory, not only is the glory going to be revealed to, for, and in us, but creation itself is going to live and exist in that same freedom of glory. It's going to be freed so that it can finally realize all of its potential with us alongside it, with us living in it. And it's fitting, isn't it? That God would renew creation, that He would have creation desiring in some mysterious way, looking forward to that revelation That as He renews us, He renews all of creation that we might have a place to dwell. That we might have a place to exist and live in the glorious grace of the Lord in His presence forevermore. Continuing in verse 22 with this groaning and yearning, Paul says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly 
for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That groaning and yearning isn't just creation itself, but us. Just as in verse 18, Paul talks about that suffering and the glory, and us wrestling with that suffering, but looking toward that glory, that wrestling with suffering is our groaning. That we groan together with creation as though in childbirth. An event that I can't experience, but that I have observed. Seeing the pain of my wife as she's striving to give birth to a child. That she is in real, legitimate suffering and pain, but yet there's something at the end of all that pain and suffering that is so great and glorious that it outweighs the pain of childbirth. It outweighs the pain of labor. And it's holding that child. Raising that child. Enjoying that child that will be born and come out of that labor. That there is an endurance in childbirth because you know what the result will bring. It will bring a child for you to love and to raise and to nurture. And so one can endure that pain of labor because of the result. And likewise, creation and us are in that same position that yes, the suffering and the struggles and the groaning and the yearning are great upon us. Enough to break us and tear us down. But we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, though we groan inwardly, we are yearning. We are waiting eagerly for adoption as sons. We know the end result of this walk in this world of suffering. It will be the full revelation of our adoption. The full revelation of us having been made children of God. Again, being made co-heirs with Christ. Adopted into God's family. That's the fullness of adoption. We have it in the here and now. Yes, we are already adopted. We are already part of God's family. And yet, there's a not yet to it. There's a fullness to it that we have yet to experience. That we've received that down payment of all that will come. But we haven't received the fullness of it. And that fullness of adoption will be revealed in the redemption of our physical bodies. That renewal. That being made new in all ways. And as we walk through this world of groaning, we wait expectantly. We wait eagerly. We yearn and long for that future redemption, that future renewal that is coming, that we experience bits and pieces of in the here and now, but we'll experience the fullness of in the future. All of the gifts of the gospel in the here and now are ours and will be fully fulfilled and experienced in toto when Christ returns and He makes all things new. He makes all things new for us, for Himself, and redeems us from the sin that so frequently tries to fight against us and drive us away. And yet, we continue to yearn for that redemption. We don't turn away from the path that we're on We continue to look toward Christ, to yearn for His renewal, for His change to come into us and to work in us and to be with us. And in that yearning and eager expectation and longing for that redemption of our bodies, Paul continues and says in verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. In this hope, this desire to receive that which God has accomplished, to receive that which God is giving. We aren't saved by that hope, but we are saved in some sense in that hope. Looking forward to that hope, the bringing about of that renewal in each and every one of us. 
It is by faith through Christ that we are saved. But that creates a hope of complete renewal, a hope of complete redemption that we then look forward to and wait for and desire that we know is coming. But Paul does pose some questions for us for who hopes. Now hope that is not seen, excuse me, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Paul's point here is that in this hope and this seeing of what is coming, if we already had it, then we have no need for hope anymore. We have no need to yearn and desire if we already have it all right now. We have the down payment with the Spirit dwelling in us, knowing that He is altering us, changing us, transforming us, renewing us day by day, moment by moment. But it's not yet complete. And so we have a little bit of that right now in order to drive us deeper into that hope to look forward to what God is going to do in Christ. To look forward to what Jesus is going to do when we come into the fullness of that inheritance. Because if you already have all of it right now, you would no longer hope for it. You would no longer strive toward it. You would no longer need to yearn for it. You to be drawn near to Him. We have to continue to be placed in Christ. We have to continue to trust in Christ. Because if we have the fullness of it right now, then we won't continue to walk in this world, to walk this path of suffering and yearning. For those Downton Abbey fans out there, this statement about hoping for what we do not see and waiting for it with patience that Paul will continue to speak of. Who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. It reminds me of Lord Grantham taking Matthew, his heir, out to survey their land, to look out upon it. Matthew didn't want the inheritance. He's resisted it. He has said he would throw it all away if he could. He didn't want to come into this inheritance and become a problem for other parts of the family because he would receive it. But Lord Grantham invests in him. Lord Grantham speaks to him. Lord Grantham takes him out and explains what is happening. Why it's so important for this inheritance to be carried on in Matthew. And in that sense, he felt the full weight finally of what he was going to receive, knowing that he's not yet ready for it. Recognizing, I can't do this. I can't inherit this. And Grantham reminding him that he's on his path toward the inheritance. He can look out and know what he will receive and he can be changed between now and then when he receives that inheritance. He can be prepared to receive it and to be in that sense worthy of that reception of inheritance. Not that his worth determines his inheritance, but seeing that inheritance, seeing the glory and the beauty of it, Matthew wants to change. He wants to strive. He wants to become the kind of person who can receive that inheritance and that is how it is with our salvation that we have received it in partial and we're looking out at the fullness of it before us but we're not ready yet to receive it because Christ is not here with us and so we live in hope of that future transformation and we walk this path toward that transformation we do the things that will lead to the transformation in the end we walk by faith we confess our sins we live a life of repentance we draw near to Christ and receive His body and blood in the sacrament. We remember our baptisms and what has been given to us. 
That we've been given the assurance of our salvation through through that. And so we can walk that path knowing that God is at work in us, that Christ is at work in us, that His Spirit is with us. And so we can walk this path that's yearning. We can walk this path of groaning in hope of what will be received. And that we know as we walk this path, we will be transformed little by little. And in the end, fully transformed. Completely changed as we draw near to Christ and as He returns for us. And so we can wait in patience. We can trust that God is at work. That He will work the fullness of transformation that we would be able to live in the fullness of the inheritance. That He will change us little by little as we draw near in faith. And rest in faith and rest in Christ and walk this path. And that brings us back to verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. To us in Christ, I add. In Christ, all of that is for us. That glory will be revealed and that the yearning, the groaning, the hardships, the suffering do not compare with what Christ is accomplishing in us. Do not compare with the glory that is going to come. And knowing that enables us to walk. Knowing that enables us to follow and pursue Christ. And so let us continue to pursue Christ. Let us walk the path that He has set before us. And let us live humbly in the faith, looking forward to the inheritance with patience. That our transformation is coming. And that that glory is going to be revealed. And that we can look forward to it and hope that it is coming for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.